and good morning. Welcome to PFG Live, formerly known as PFG Live. I'm Spencer Webb with Kinetic Precision. I'll be your host today, as if you didn't know that. So welcome aboard. Uh, CJ Stevens, thank you for being first on YouTube. Joel, welcome aboard. Wes from Southern Idaho, welcome. CJ Stevens reports 91 degrees and sticky in East Tennessee. I know how that feels. Uh, we have a special report today from DBX. He reports uh, White Plains on the 27th, 1656 Zulu. Winds are 360 at 8 knots. Visibility 10 miles. Winds, clouds are scattered at 4,000. Temperature 26, dew point 17. Altimeter 29 or 9 or 4. How's that? Practical Renaissance, welcome from Kansas City, where it is a refreshing 76 Fahrenheit and just a bit of cloud cover. Welcome. I can report in the southern of New Hampshire, it is 73 degrees with 75% humidity. Still feels pretty nice. Uh, let's see, who else is uh, checking in? Somebody checked in, I think, on... I don't want to miss one. Oh, yeah. So Unix Carbide had an early report uh, at 82 degrees and 52% relative humidity in Brooklyn, but he will not be able to join us live today. Okay, Wes. So you might be wondering why I asked you that. So we have a guest in the house staying with us this week who is from Boise. And I have to report that uh, you're 156 miles out. Carl Tauber, welcome aboard. 76, uh, sorry, 75 Fahrenheit in the People's Republic of Rhode Island. Both peoples. Welcome. Well, we're going it, to, it's a beautiful Sunday here. I got a ton done in the shop this morning. I got a ton done in the shop yesterday. And the reason is I had to. <laughs> so, so six inch, uh, six inch stone orders were piling up. And I was cleaned out. And while I was frantically getting six inch stones made, the four inchers got cleaned out. So I'm like keeping my nose to the grindstone to get everything uh, put back together. Warren Jones is with us from the great northern New Hampshire. Uh, we need weather reports, folks. You can't just check in and say hi. You have to bring something to the table. We need some data. We, we require data. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Warren is my neighbor to the north. Precisely Imprecise is now reporting in. And I, I'll speak slowly so you can get your location in there. 69 Fahrenheit, 62% relative humidity, partly cloudy, 7 miles an hour, north winds in western New York. There's a lot of western to New York, almost as much as there is eastern to Tennessee. So I'm going to uh, temporarily take these headphones off because we were testing out our, uh, our new capability. We have a new capability. We can now take a Discord contributor on audio and video on the fly. <laughs> yeah, it, it rained here, Warren. Um, we had some, some rain earlier, and then the sun came out. So right now the sun is out. 
and I've got a moth flying around. Oh, he's outside. Okay. It's kind of weird. So uh, we do have new capability with Discord, so we may, you know, if you guys have some questions or comments or snide remarks that you want to make in audio or audio and video, we can accommodate. So uh, let's see, who else is coming in here today? I think we got everybody acknowledged. So this is PFG Live. This is the the, uh, YouTube Live and podcast formerly known as PFG Live. So if you look in the uh, the corner of your screen, if you're on video, you'll notice that it's a little different. It's pfg.live. And in fact, if you go to any browser and you type in pfg.live, it'll take you right to the YouTube channel, right to the lives, and right to this very show. So uh, that's what's new. And then, of course, we... we uh, we we edited the past. We edited history, and I've gone back and uh, changed the slides on a about twenty of our lives, and uh, and made that change. So from now on, you should not refer to it as PFG Live. It is now PFG Live, <laughs> or just PFG Live. Yeah, uh, that hit me. It was a it was a few months ago when it 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 occurred to me that dot live is a, a TLD or a top level domain. And so I checked and of course I grabbed it and then I did nothing with it for a while. And then I was inspired this morning and I, I, I made a, I got it done. So going forward, it will be PFG live with a dot in the middle. So there you go. Um, other news. Let's see. We're we're in stock on the little uh, Sensorian boards uh, and cases. Everybody who asked for one, I think, has been taken care of. Hey, Machine NZ is here. All rise or be seat. I sit upside down. Maybe that's what we should be doing. Congratulations on your new uh, arrival, Machine NZ. For those of you who don't know, uh, Machine NZ is the proud father of a Jones and Shipman 540. And we saw the delivery video uh, this morning. That was awesome. So welcome. Welcome aboard. We need a, we require a weather report, sir. Or the bouncers will see you out. So uh, Sensorian cases are in stock. They're five bucks. Uh, Sensorian boards are in stock. I don't remember what I priced them at. I think 40, 40 bucks or something. There's a little bit of markup because I have to handle it. Uh, but basically it's, it's not much. So I get, I'm stocking them and then, uh, not, not huge numbers, but some guys wanted them and they're still fantastic. Um, no, I have not checked email, uh, Joel. I suppose I could do that. Actually, it's kind of hard to do that right now. Machine NZ reports 7.5 degrees Celsius dry and still dark at the moment. Well, of course, it's before work. We understand that. So, Joel, what do I need to know about the email you sent, or should I just leave it for later? Now you got me all nervous. Oh, here we go. Oh, the the case didn't fare well. Okay. Hey, dude, we will take care of you, okay? 
you were in Phoenix. No, it's Chandler. So Chandler, Arizona has daytime temperatures that will melt PLA. Dude, I will take care of you. I promise. <laughs> that is, that is a little worrying for those of you who live in Chandler, Arizona, although somewhat unsurprising. I did not see email this morning, so I apologize. We will take care of you. And, um, I guess I should try it in PETG. It's, it's, um, you know, that might be a little better. I'll, I'll give it a shot in PETG and maybe we'll switch over. But, um, wow. I bet you know exactly what temperature it was when it started melting <laughs> and what the relative humidity was. Oh gosh. Anyway, uh, so we, we have a tiny, tiny little inventory of these things. So if anybody wants them, let, let us know. Uh, I consider the Sensorian board a pretty good, um, pretty good standard. Uh, and I also can report that I've been running the, um, yes, the BS eight is in PLA tough. And if it, I, I do not recommend leaving it in your car in Chandler, Arizona, um, We've been running the, uh, we've been running the feather from Adafruit. Uh, this is the, what do they call it? They call this the ESP32 S3 reverse TFT feather. And this sucker has been reading, uh, relative humidity off of the Sensorian sensor, the SHT45, and it will go about, about two days like this before the, this battery runs out. This is a pretty, a pretty beefy, um, lithium ion battery. So we got that data point. Um, and if you leave it plugged into USB-C, it will, it will manage the battery. It will keep it charged and power the unit. So that's been working out pretty well. Um, I will be designing a case for that mostly for me, but if any, again, if anybody wants it, I'll I'll make the STL available. Um, so that's been cooking. The topics for today that I picked were uh, improving the products. So you just observed how products get improved, right? Joel says, gee, the case, you know, kind of melted in the, uh, on the dashboard and we can improve it by making it PETG. Now, if that's an improvement, We'll see, but I will give it a shot. I will take that as homework to, uh, to make that in PETG. Um, there we go. Written down. The, the BS eight is in PLA tough. So, um, if we get any sort of feedback that that was an issue, we will address it, but I don't think it's going to be an issue. So other improvements to the products, uh, many moons ago, one of our customers for PFG stones stated that the hole in the bottom of the tray, which is a big oval, um, was too big because he was able to, uh, basically accidentally drop his stone through the hole. And, and that was a problem. So that's stuck in my head and it has always been, uh, 
one of my goals to redesign th that tray to, to eliminate that problem. Well, this week, uh, we finally did it because we had other, other motivations to get the tray redesigned. And you are the first folks to see this. This is a, uh, a much finer pattern of little ovals. So instead of one big oval in each cavity, there's three little ovals and you cannot drop a stone through it, but it still does its job of providing a way for the, uh, particulates to get out for any, any schmutz to get out of there. Um, so that, that is new and that's another product improvement. So this was, this was printed on the bamboo. We've been printing them. This is PETG. And that was a small improvement we did, um, we did this, this month. So the way I handle this is the four inch stones, cause we're cleaned out of trays will be the first ones to get the new tray design. And then the six inches will follow. Um, one of the reasons it's easy to make a little improvement and, and implement it rather quickly is that we keep the inventory levels, uh, relatively low like a one to two week ish inventory. Uh, so if we make a, if we make a, and, and our manufacturing process in the case of the trays being 3d printed, uh, we can very rapidly make a change and implement it. So this was one of those cases where we made a change, implemented it and it, immediately it will be going, it will be going out. It's not without its stumbling blocks. And I will explain that in a minute. Um, one of the other things that happened this week is we got our certificate of registration for the trademark PFG stones. So now PFG stones is a registered trademark of kinetic precision. So now we get to use that little R in the circle, which we're going to talk about later instead of just the little TM symbol. And I'll explain what the differences are. So that led to a graphics change on the bottom of the tray. And it's also going to be a, uh, a graphics change to the lid. I don't have a lid to show you, but it's going to look pretty similar. Um, thank you, CJ Stevens. Appreciate it. So we're going to talk about the whole process and we'll, we'll remove the mystery. Almost machining is here. <laughs> sort of morning. So, um, yeah, what's going on for your weather there uh, almost? We, we need to know. We were just talking about it being a little warm in Chandler, and we wonder how you're doing. Uh, almost is near Phoenix, very near Phoenix. So it's probably a little warm out there. So that's some of the news. So that that's the new trays, right? New graphics, slight change to design. I think it looks pretty cool. Uh, open to hearing what you guys think. Functionally, it should be just awesome. No major changes as to how you use them. And that was the first two off of the presses. And, uh, of course the first, the first ones we made, the little R symbol is a little, not quite perfect. So we want to go full Grimsmo on this. So there'll be a little bit of a, a spin on the artwork just to make the registered trademark symbol a little bigger so that it, it prints well in filament, uh, minor, minor, minor change. So almost says it's hot, remains hot, 
just like Chandler. I think they've had more rain there than here. Okay. Well, that's good news. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate it. Um, so part of doing this design was also picking the font. So we searched the fonts. I got my graphic arts department involved and, uh, and my son chipped in his opinion too. And we found this very nice font called Bryant. So this is Bryant and that will be our new font for the PFG stones. So the first place that it'll appear is on the trays and the lids and, and the stones that we're manufacturing right now will get that font also. And it was picked for a very, a very important reason. Um, there's no sharp corners on it and there's no sharp inclusions, uh, a little bit on the E, but it's, it, it will look good in 3d printing. That was what it was chosen for. So that's called Bryant. Um, so we'll talk more about that in a minute. Joel says we had 0.1 inch total rain over the last couple of weeks. That's a little dry. Hey, K Bonk is here. 87, partly cloudy in the 19123-er. <laughs> uh, welcome aboard, sir. Uh, that's the Philadelphia, right? Yeah, you're in Philly, I think. Welcome aboard. So those are the improvements that we made on the trays. The We just did this batch of six-inch stones, and they just came out gloriously. I mean, I don't think... I don't think the average customer is going to be able to know the difference between that and stones I made six months ago, but they're just coming off the presses beautifully. And we just finished up uh, one custom lip and one uh, order that had two bevels in it, and that's all done. So all the all the grinding is done on that batch. Um, what else is going on this week? Well. Last week, we finished up the production run on the B200 balancing rings. I know I showed one, but I didn't show one fully packaged. So if you, for those of you on the podcast, uh, the balancing ring itself is sealed in its own little uh, heat seal bag. The, the packet of hardware, the little set screws, have their own heat seal bag. And then the whole thing is in a bag that separates the hardware from the stickers and it came out great. So we have cranked out, I think we have 92 of these in stock. Uh, some of them have already gone out and uh, we should be set for a while. <laughs> Almost says, I'm working in today. Oh, you're blasting? So almost is doing some sandblasting. Paul Morley is here. He says it may not hit 100 for the first day in many here in Dallas. 46 and counting so far. Just to clarify, that's 46 days over 100 in Dallas, Texas. Paul, stay hydrated. Uh, I've <laughs> This has been crazy. Yeah. So if anybody wants to, to go out for a sauna, 
uh, just grab a flight down to Dallas today. That is if the airplane will be able to land. Uh, there have been insta- instances of uh, runways being damaged because it was so hot and the aircraft was so heavy that it literally damaged the tarmac. Okay, so almost is making uh, making some epoxy crete. Interesting. So you may have seen in the past folks taking uh, hollow steel tubing, you know, the the square tubing, and then filling it with uh, concrete or filling it with epoxy and stuff. Well, almost has a project like that going on, and he will be sharing some video with us in the near future. So um, what other little improvements have we made in the last couple of weeks? You may have seen um, the the taper collet that comes with the with the uh, BS8 was improved, and I'll show you. I'll show you a red one. I'll show you the difference between the new ones and the previous versions. So I was I was pretty happy with the previous versions, except when I started gathering data. Right, we started taking data on these using the jig that I built recently. And it indicated that there was an offset being introduced by the taper collet. So that's the, that's the most uh, undesirable error of all of the errors is having the taper collet not concentric. And I didn't like the numbers. They weren't, they weren't horrible. I didn't like the numbers. So I studied the model, the 3D model for, for printing um, the taper collet. And what I did is I put these grooves in, okay? So you can see on the red guy, there's a face groove. And on the green guy, there's no face groove. And by putting a groove in there, I was able to then go to the slicer and tell the slicer, I want you to put your seam inside this groove. So now when the printer prints and it's going to end the loop that it's working on, it ends it inside the groove, which means it will not have contact with the metal surface, top or bottom, or inside, outside. And while I thought I did a reasonable job of that before, this is even better. And the numbers proved it out. The, the taper collet started coming out more concentric. And I said, that's it. We, we've done it. So that's the new design, and I love it. So the data, we've been gathering data on it. I, I built up um, a number of units ready to ship. And the first 20 units will be completely surveyed. And that will constitute our uh, our data collection and i might continue doing it uh after the 20th unit so we will see precisely and precise says ah that was a concern i had with the printed taper collar z seems always seem to throw me yeah it was a concern i had too and i again uh you you, you try your best in the design phase to account for certain, uh, certain things like that. And, uh, and then we improved it. 
we made it better. And thankfully, we made it better uh, after only one unit shipped. And I, I quickly replaced that and sent that customer a brand new one. Uh, so, so we're all set. I also tested, in case you're wondering, I know you might be wondering, we also tested the taper collet in resin. And for various reasons, uh, while this can work, um, this is not the best solution. Uh, so again, this is all part of the research and development. Yeah. It, now I will say that using the bamboo slicer, which of course is derived from Prusa slicer, which is derived from, let's see, we, we went down this road a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, slicer with an E with, where the three is an E possibly the world's worst marketing name. Um, you're able to paint on the part where you want your seam. However, it does not have normal tools like normal CAD tools. So if we were, for example, in Fusion 360, we could say, oh, I can go into my, my 3D model and draw a line and say between this point and this point and say, make my seam go down that line. Not so easy. So I... I had to work pretty hard to get it to go in the grooves and stay in the grooves. The tools are terrible for painting um, or for controlling where the seam goes. Uh, if, if the bamboo developer was sitting right here, I would show it to him and say, you must fix this. So we'd like to have some sort of normal CAD tool where we could put us, you know, choose a point here and a point there and say, put my seam right between those two points. So uh, play with it. Play with with the control of where your seam goes. That's always been there. And play with seam painting. That's what it's called, seam painting. And you'll see what I mean. It's not trivial. Uh, K-Bonk says, did you use a V or a square edge for the seam dump? Uh, it's It's actually... I'm trying to remember if it was a V groove or a square groove or a I don't remember. I'll have to go back to the model and check. Um, if you use a V groove and the V and, and, and the V goes into the part, then you can uh, choose the bottom of the V and that, that would seem to make sense. I don't remember. I'll have to go look at my model, but it was worth thinking about and it turned it turned that part uh, into a pretty, pretty darn precise part. So, so that was the improvements there. So here's the, here's the, the bottom line on the BS8 is that I am getting better performance out of the BS8 than my previous balancing stand. It is better than my previous balancing stand. So that makes me happy. I mean, we thought we'd, you know, discovered America when we we made the aluminum one and came up with all the little the little improvements, um, which are all incorporated in the BS eight, but then, you know, you're all worried. Oh, what about the accuracy? It is a better product than my aluminum one. Thank you. K bonk. I appreciate it. Um, Darshan. Hi, welcome aboard. Um, so, so those were, those were improvements on those products. Uh, very happy about that. 
And uh, so we we mentioned four things that got improvements this week. <laughs> the the name of the video uh, that we're watching right now, the the PFG dot live, the trays, the B two hundred packaging, and the fact that it's all done, and the taper collets. So under the topic of finishing up the B two hundred manufacturing uh, for this batch, <laughs> you know. That machine of mine, which I love dearly, when you generate a lot of chips, they hide. So I found, you know, there's a, there's a spot in the in the rear on the right side that never gets washed out by the coolant, and and make its way to the to the auger, and uh, I filled up I filled up a big box with chips that that I I scraped out of the machine. I, I spent a couple hours cleaning the machine over over the last week. And it's now it's now clean and ready for the next job, but they were hiding in some <laughs> uncomfortable places. But we finally got those taken care of. So those that's what's going on. So the other big the other big news, um, and, and just to put the ribbons on the B two hundred, we'll be talking more about the B two hundred in concert with the balancing stand in the in the video that I'm producing now which is sort of the whole how to balance using all the tools. So watch for it and bug me about it. That'll help. <laughs> so uh, we got our registered trademark this week, and I wanted to tell a little bit of the story of, of that. Um, I've had a rocky relationship with, with um the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Not because of them, but because of the perception of value in protecting intellectual property. So intellectual property comes in a bunch of, a bunch of uh, flavors. In particular, it's in the name, you know, Patent and Trademark Office. So you got patents and you got trademarks. Patents, you could have utility patents, process patents, um, design patents. I might be missing a couple of uh, exotic flavors. And they have their they have their place. And then you have trademarks. And there's about three levels of trademarks and two flavors. The flavors of trademarks are word marks and symbol marks. So, if your uh, trade dress, if your product is um, if your product is recognizable by its symbol, its 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 graphical layout, that kind of thing, that's a symbol mark. If if the word is the thing that identifies your product to customers, then that's a word mark. What are some examples? Uh, actually, if you look over my shoulder here, right, there's uh, Blizzard, right? There's a sticker for Blizzard, Blizzard Entertainment. If you try to start a, a, a company called Blizzard or Blizzard Entertainment, or if you, started, if you try to start a company called Blizzard and it was in the entertainment business or in the video game business, you would have a, a world of trouble on your hands. That would be a 
an infringement of a word mark, a trademark. Um, if, for example, let me see if I can see an example in here. Well, here, my, uh, my company Antenesis, that logo for Antenesis is a symbol mark. So that is our trademark for Antenesis. Those are two examples. Um, then you could have, so you have word marks and you have symbol marks. What we got for PFG stones is a word mark. So the term PFG stones, as you see it, that is a trademark. It doesn't matter if that font changes. We could do it in Morse code. Makes no difference. So those that combination of words is 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 trademarked. Now, when you get a trademark, it's in a certain area of of business, and they have all these categories. And, and I think I think we registered it in two categories: one called polishing stones, and one called. Um, a sharpening stones, something like that. that. In other words, the closest things that fit the product. So if you, for example, started an airline called PFG stones, would I, would you stand, uh, you know, withstand a lawsuit for trademark infringement? You might because it's in a completely different area of business and it is not caught. Here's here comes the magic phrase. It's not causing confusion in the marketplace so that's how that's sort of the metric of is somebody causing trouble do they are they causing confusion in the marketplace so when you do anything in business and this is all continuing on under the topic of trademarks and you come up you come up with a a thing and Let's say, for example, you start making these mugs. I'll hide the name because that's not what we're talking about. And and the nut, the mugs have a certain uh, a certain shape and a certain thing associated with them. If somebody else and and you just start selling them, and if somebody else comes out with the exact same thing, uh, you can make the argument that they're infringing on your trademark or your trade dress, and you'd have a case. If you put a notice, like I, there's no notice for this shape on this particular product, but if you put a notice on the product that said this is a trademark, that's what the little TM is. That's a notice that you consider your thing, whatever it is, a trademark. Now you have a much stronger case if somebody copies it. If you register your trademark, you have an extremely strong case. And the difference is uh, if somebody infringes a trademark that is not a registered trademark, it's just a little TM symbol, um, I believe they have to stop using it, stop selling the product that, that infringes it, and that is the end of that. However, if it is a registered trademark, you might you might be due damages from that infringement. So there is a definite difference in how that uh, how that's be behaved. Um, I am not an attorney, and I am not a, a <laughs> I don't even play one on TV. But this was all learned in the school of hard knocks. So the next time you see 
a bottle of Coca-Cola or a Dunkin' Donuts bag or any of those things, um, you now can start thinking, oh, I'm looking at a trademarked thing. And then and then pick it up. Like when you see the, your next Dunkin' Donuts bag, take a good hard look at it. You're probably going to see a notification that it's trademarked and it's probably, knowing Dunkin' Donuts, is probably a registered trademark. So that will, you'll start seeing things everywhere now. <laughs> um, also, the little R in the circle, which means registered trademark, if a company uses that symbol and they don't have a registered trademark, they have violated federal law, and that's not good. So those, that's sort of on the, on the trademark side. On the patent side, you've got the different flavors of patents, utility patents, process patents, design patents. So let's say, for example, you came up with the shape of the Coke bottle. Okay. Does everybody have a picture in their head of what, you know, if you went to get a, a and I'm thinking the glass Coke bottle, by the way, the classic glass Coke bottle, which they're still, they're still making. If you went and you got that classic, uh, glass Coke bottle out of, out of the fridge, that shape and design of that bottle is a subject of a design patent. And it may also be subject of trademarks separately. Um, a design patent is the, the, the look and the graphical design and the shape of a thing. So you may recall not too long ago, there was a, a bit of a beef between a little company called Samsung and an even, you know, littler company called Apple. And they had a beef over the design of, of phones, smartphones. And in fact, if you quickly glance at my phone, okay, you couldn't tell whether it was an Android device or a Samsung device. I know that's software and hardware or an Apple device because they all sort of had the same basic design. Well, that was a problem. So Apple sued Samsung and they won. And the settlement was, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was in the two digits of billions. That was over a design patent. Now here's what's interesting. If you went to seek a trademark, a registered trademark, like we just did for PFG stones, the costs associated with that are on the order of, call it on the order of $3,000. So, you know, not free, but not terrible. If you went to get a design patent, that might cost you a little more and you better go through a good attorney and that might cost you $5,000 to get a design patent. If you went to get a utility patent, it will cost you $25,000. This is just to secure the, the patent or in the case of a trademark, the registration. So, so the beef between Samsung and Apple was over a design patent, which probably cost them $5,000 to file. Now, let me ask you a question. 
do you think anybody questions whether whether the $5,000 was a good investment? I think not. Um, now, there's another major, major difference between a trademark and a patent. And and I just want to clarify that, and I don't want to go too, too much further down this hole. But a patent is filed after the is correctly filed after the information in the patent was kept secret and not disclosed to the public at any time. So when you get your patent, it gets published and all that information that you filed in your patent becomes public information in exchange for your monopoly. In the, in the case of trademarks, it's actually exactly the opposite. You have to be using the trademark in commerce to then apply for, for registration of that trademark. So when you, when you apply for the registered trademark, you actually declare the date of first use in commerce, and that's a requirement. It can't be just an idea in your head. You have to be using it. So it's completely the opposite of a patent. Machine NZ says, I worked for a guy here in New Zealand designing a project for the supermarket industry. You did all of the, he did all of the 3D printing prototypes. It cost him $16,000 New Zealand bucks. Um, did he, did he file a patent? Was that, um, it was that the subject of a patent? Ah, Okay, take care, Machine NZ. <laughs> I believe we've had the conversation uh, privately, and I believe that was a patent. So that's that's sixteen thousand dollars to file a patent. Okay, he just confirmed that. So that gives you a feel uh, of of how these things work, um, whether it is worth doing on any particular project is a topic for another day. Um, so Carl says patents expire correct. Trademarks are immortal, I believe. So actually correct on the patents. They definitely expire. Trademarks, I, I believe they also will have, um, they have requirements. I can't speak to that precisely right now, but part of what I got when I, when I got the paperwork from my attorney was here are the dates that you have to do more paperwork. Now they were like 10 years out. Whereas in patents, you actually have, you have homework to do in, you know, like every few years. I don't remember the exact, the exact dates. Um, so if I had a bottom line, this whole discussion with you, it is this, the only time you should spend any money on any of the things we just talked about, patents, trademarks, is if you have a firm marketing plan that speaks to why you're getting a patent and why you're getting a trademark and what the return on investment is. Because if you can't articulate what the return on investment is for your $2,500, $5,000, $25,000, you shouldn't do it. Paul says, I work for a software company and have been on three or four patents. To your point, we would always have to rush 
to file before the release that had the patentable feature uh, before it went to market. Exactly correct. Um, it's a major issue. And it costs a lot of money to keep stuff secret and keep a closed ecosystem so, so that it is provably never publicly disclosed. That's something that has to be taken into consideration. So anyway, that whole, that whole explanation was triggered by the arrival of our registration of PFG stones this week. And I'm very happy about it. So I get a lot of people sending me messages. What is, what does PFG stand for? And my answer is, is usually we don't stand for anything. <laughs> or some people say, when I hear that, I think of pretty freaking good. And I'm like, you are exactly correct. So we will just have fun with that for the next 20 years. Um, so that's, uh, that's the story of the trademark arrival and, and sort of the position of why. Uh, so it was, it was a reasonable amount of money to protect the trademark. When, we, when I first came out with PFG stones, literally first came out with PFG stones, uh, it wasn't terribly long before people started using PFG stones generically, like we use ping pong. And I observed this and I researched it and it was like, yeah, I, I have to register this trademark so that it's not considered a, you know, um, what do you call it? You know, co in common usage. So I did. And yeah, I'm sure there are some people out there that have the Mandela effect and they're like, no, I, we, we called it that forever. For 20 years we called it that. No, you didn't because I was on... I did all my research, I did all my homework, and it was never called that. So that's why we registered it. It's kind of funny. We like we like the funny, and uh, and the deed is done. <sighs> so what are you guys up to? What's going on out there that uh, that you guys are involved with? And if anybody wants to come on Discord, we have four Discorders. If anybody wants to join in on audio or audio plus video. You're welcome, because we have the technology. Earlier this, uh, earlier today, uh, precisely imprecise helped me out, and we debugged um, the setup so that we could pull in audio and video from uh, from Discord. So if anybody has a funny story or a question or anything else, and you want to raise your hand, you're welcome to do that. So. What else is new in the shop? I think between the uh, keeping the VMC running on B200s and keeping the grinder running on on uh, on PFG stones, I don't think there's much else new in the shop. Everything has been glorious. Uh, I'm going to take a sip of tea while Warren Jones continues typing. Oh, on the Discord front, before anybody yells at me, we we have this figured out for uh, a desktop computer, but if you try to use the phone app to come in on this on uh, Discord audio and video, for some reason that's still a problem. That's still weird. I think the app is just not capable of handling it. Um. So there you go. If nobody has been watching the. Uh, 
Oh, here we go. Warren reports. I am up to trying to repair a 12 volt DC motor in a fuel pump. Like you see in the back of a pickup truck and listening to this. Well, good luck, Warren. I, I recommend no, um, no sparks from your motor in the presence of fuel. That would be bad. Um, do you, I'm sure you have some good motor shops around here. I know there used to be one in Salem that did rewinding and all sorts of good stuff. And I'm not sure if, if, if that's going to help you. Warren says, but sparks are fun. They're fun when you're welding. They're not fun when you're working on fuel pumps. Um, excellent. So uh, I don't have much else to report today. It was a it was a beautiful uh, beautiful week from the standpoint of uh, of weather. We had some rain, but we needed it. I'm very sorry for my buddies who are cooking in uh, Arizona and Texas, and I hope you guys get a break real soon. Precisely said. A coworker had a few sparks at our high voltage bench on Friday. Ooh, uh, I'm I'm assuming those are not intentional sparks, because that would not be good. <laughs> uh, ouch. Yeah, um, we we once uh, had somebody uh, that I knew at the time. Um, now tell me, tell me what you guys think about this, uh, using a belt sander, uh, to sand aluminum and, you know, just think about that. Then they use the same belt sander to sand, wait for it, magnesium. So here they are sanding magnesium on a belt sander. Now, when you sand aluminum on a belt sander, it's a little bit, you know, you know, not exactly clean, but it does the job, works. It doesn't make any sparks. And then when you sand magnesium on the same belt sander, a couple of interesting things happen. Number one, you get lots of sparks. Number two, it will ignite the magnesium and it will... No, CJ Stevens asks, is it thermite? No, I'll explain thermite in a second. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> it's actually way worse because the magnesium can ignite and you can actually ignite the aluminum. Aluminum powder will ignite. And to your point, CJ Stevens, anyway, they, they burned a hole through a bench and created a bit of a scene and, uh, they're, they're embarrassed about it and they don't want anybody to talk about it. So I don't think I have to explain to the community that is uh, consuming this particular recording that sanding magnesium is a bad idea. Uh, so K-Bonk says wax or compound helps in sanding aluminum. Does anything help sanding magnesium? I'm just asking for a friend. So thermite is aluminum powder and ferrous oxide, not ferric oxide, although that will also work. 
and I've made thermite and it, you know, you follow the chemical formulas, you figure out your masses and it works, it works great. And I, I made it thinking that maybe we could make it useful, but it wasn't useful, um, for the things we were doing. Thermite was used for welding railroad tracks together. And, um, it, you could research this. It was, it was a, uh, you could take it in the field. It didn't require any special storage. You'd set it up. And I believe they did use magnesium strips to ignite them because, uh, uh, it's still pretty hard to ignite, um, thermite. So a magnesium strip, you could ignite with a torch and then the magnesium will happily start the process, uh, of, of the thermite burning. Um, so don't, don't sand your magnesium on your aluminum sander on a wooden workbench because that would make you a bozo. Um, well, that's all I got for you guys today. It's a relatively short one. No, actually we're pretty much on time. I'm going to get some outside time today and then I've got a bunch of hand finishing to do on the stones. So that will be uh, coming up shortly. Precisely says our high school chemistry teacher did a small thermite demo on the last day of class. <laughs> was this, was this do the thermite demo and run? Is that how it works? That's pretty funny. Um, thermite. So there's a, uh, there's a story which, well, the subject of some considerable research on the Hindenburg. And it turns out that the, you see pictures of and, and hear reports about the Hindenburg disaster. And it was sort of the, the end of the use of hydrogen in airships. Um, and it was considered that it was proof that hydrogen airships were horribly dangerous. They were uh, constructed with an aluminum with aluminum powder. You see where this is going, with aluminum powder in the paint, and then also, wait for it, ferrous oxide in the paint. And I don't remember what the purpose was. <laughs> Unix Carbide just showed up. He says I come in late, and the topic is thermite. Yeah, you stick around, but we'll record this for you. Um, and, and, and I don't remember why they put, I think the aluminum was to control static discharge, which was smart. And I think the ferrous oxide was sort of a standard part of paint formulations. But the Hindenburg was basically covered in thermite. And uh, they found notebooks of, of the formulations that were used in the building of it and confirmed that, yeah, they basically covered it in thermite. And then there was, in fact, a static discharge that launched the reaction. And that, so the Hindenburg disaster that you see, you know, in films, um, you're watching a thermite reaction. You're not watching a hydrogen explosion because you wouldn't see anything. Uh, when hydrogen burns, uh, you don't see anything. 
But when thermite burns, oh boy, uh, you see very bright stuff. Yes, almost says needed to make the whole thing a conductor. Correct. They, they were trying to do the right thing. They just happened to do two things that were the right thing, which in combination was very much the wrong thing. Um, yeah. So that's thermite. Carl says the purpose is to reduce transpiration. We're going to have to go to our dictionaries on that, Carl, of hydrogen, like the way the old helium balloons used to deflate spontaneously. Interesting. So uh, how do we get onto that? How did you guys drag us over to a thermite? We got to thermite. We got to from making, making magnesium dust and aluminum dust, and I don't even know how we got there. K-Bank earlier asked, how much was the attorney, which attorney? I missed your, I missed your question earlier. <laughs> anyway, I think we're going to wrap this up. It's uh, coming up on the top of the hour. I want to remind everybody that we do this every Sunday, whether we're prepared or not. At 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 Zulu and 1530 Newfoundland time, right here on pfg.live. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for being here. It was a lot of fun. And uh, nobody commented on the audio. How's the audio sound? <laughs> almost thanks for being here buddy stay cool stay hydrated cj stevens you too have a great week audio was smooth thank you joel i watched uh, i watched a whole bunch of videos this past week on equalizing microphones thank you very much unix are you <laughs> I think I understand your situation now, Unix. If you're in a park and you're dealing with jet lag and uh, a youngin, I totally get it. So the uh, the podcast will be up. It might be a tiny bit delayed, but it will be up before the sun goes down and it will be there for our patient podcast audience. From Kinetic Precision, have a great day. And remember, get flat and stay flat. <laughs>